Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. Remember that time that your co-host screwed up the first take? I think we both did. I, I started and I was like, where am I? What uh, is, what's today? It's really hard to make the transition to the weekend unless it's like some world where you just sleep through it. <laughs> and then wake up again on Monday, which sounds like a giant nightmare. That actually, isn't that what happens on the weekend though? Like we talked about that at one point, sleep how you basically wheel. get like 16 hours of not sleep time. That's depressing, right? Sorry. A little bit. <laughs> Sorry. We'll say that again. That's okay because I'll do like this. And it'll make it all better. And you smile when you talk. <laughs> and it lifts everything up. Is that all it takes? It's just all up here. <laughs> uh, to, uh, that might be entering mania. Mania? Mania. Both. Uh, well, so we haven't been together in a couple of weeks. Nobody else realizes that until now. But that's the case. I like to spoil what goes on behind the scenes. Um, so I thought I would just ruin the illusion ooh, um, <laughs> that we like live together um, in this closet. Right. Uh, what you been up to? Oh, man, it's it's only been two weeks since we were together. Last. It was like eight months. That feels like not enough time to have been up to anything. Yeah. So I, I feel I'm giving myself that grace when I say not too darn much. I really haven't been up to too much. Um, I started watching that 90s show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? Not yet. I'm trying to prepare myself. Maybe your what you say next will help or hinder because oh. I really love that 70s show. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get nervous about young new actors mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, or like yeah. ruining, a, I don't want to say a legacy because that feels strong, but mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's very cute. I'm only through like the sixth episode. I think that it is very, um, what's the word? It feels like home. Like it reminds you of the show. Thank you. Nostalgia. It's very much that Red and Kitty play a really big role in this show, which I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are hilarious. Mm -hmm. Kitty makes me laugh out loud every time she's on screen. Um, So what I've watched, I've really enjoyed. It's super light and silly. Um, So I've been watching that. And then like at night before I go to bed, my daughter and I read I think maybe I talked about this on a recent episode. We read Little Women together. Like my parents gave her this collection of classic books and we read Little Women and I felt like I finished it and I was like, I mean, it was fine. I've never actually read it before and I've never seen any of the movies or anything. I just know the story. Um, so I read it and I was like, I mean, it was a fine book. I don't understand why everybody makes such a big deal about it. Then I read the back of the book and it was like an abridged version for kids. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Like there's, there's gotta be some good stuff missing. Like some really nice turns of phrase. It just didn't even feel like elevated writing to me. Um, So I checked that out from the library, the digital version, and I've been reading that every night before I go to bed instead of watching TV. And it is a very different piece of literature. (laughs) saying that people may know what they're talking about. Turns out. (laughs) Turns out little women is a century of readers know what they're talking about. But they don't always. That's true. I have like, and I I don't like to disparage authors because that's not really my place um, as not an author, but like definitely things that are considered classics or big snore fests for me. Oh, yeah. 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 I can't believe I made it all the way through school and never read this book. It's anyway. astounding to me. Yeah. So what did you say? Hemingway. Oh. Oh. Well, right. It's just not for me. Not for me. But it's so crazy. Like, English was my favorite class. I took AP English. Like, I, what was I reading? I couldn't tell you. But I never read Little Women, so I'm reading that now. I've been reading Harry Potter with my daughter when I put her to bed at night. We started reading the first one. Uh, also, fantastic book that I haven't read in 
more than a decade and it's been really fun revisiting that with her. So that's really it, man. I haven't been up to, I've had a saga with new windows in my house. Mm -hmm. That's been a thing. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Don't get new windows. It's not worth it. (laughs) Just like put a towel over it or something. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so yeah. And we had our, our friend's Christmas party last week. We put off our Christmas party till after the holidays because Mm -hmm. we really didn't, we all have most of us have little kids and we didn't all want to get sick right before Christmas and not see like our immediate families. So we put it off. We got all the people together last weekend and we were all standing around looking at each other like time is cruel. How is it possible that these people that we used to hang out with at like 19 and 20 years old, we're all standing here looking at our kids playing in a bouncy house right now. Oh, okay. It sounded worse than that. Like, oh, we're all looking at each other and we we're like, time is cruel. Oh, no. And I'm like, dang. No. Just like, where does it all go? Where does the time go? I don't know. So that's what I've been up to. What about you? Well, so this is a good segue into my last weekend because I also was thinking about how time time is a thief because Casey turned 40 last weekend. Oh, no. Yeah. It's not that far off, though. How's that feel? Oh, it's plenty far it's off. Not been, it's not, plenty far off. Okay. That's what I keep telling myself, too. <laughs> and why I explain to them, you know, we're from two ge- different generations. This is hard for you to understand. <laughs> but Back in your day. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, like, uh, the biggest high, like, it was like a, really, it was like a birthday extravaganza. I for, Like, it was just something all weekend long. And so I was just... I, I'm glad to do it. Just really tired. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I feel like you're, I just feel like I was like trying to like coordinate and do stuff all weekend. And I just wound up being exhausted, but like also like, yay. Okay, woo. Um, and, uh, like I started off just in a bad way. You I still have decorations up downstairs and those will stay up for a while because let me tell you something. Those took me four hours to put up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was yeah. up until one o'clock in the morning putting those up. Oh, no. And, like, and it was really just for something cute for him to see. I didn't know it was going to be a disaster. Like, why don't they, like, send directions or, like, um, you know, tie a piece of, like, hot pink twine around that plastic straw that you're supposed to use to, like, blow up the Mylar balloons. I mean, I also incidentally realized how much Casey usually helps me with these little tasks. And, he, <laughs> like, I, like, you know couldn't ask for that help or have I haven't had to hang a banner by myself in a really long time and that's quite a you really need two people you know you just do um so uh Saturday though we really just we did like dinner and drinks so I wanted to give a couple of recommendations uh one is the anguished barber this is in Midtown and it's a cocktail bar that shares a space with like a really nice barber shop and, um, so like you can, I mean, we did not go there to get our haircuts, <laughs> but you can go and you could like have like a nice cocktail, um, like while you're getting your hair done. We've talked about this before on this here. Is so familiar to me. I don't remember if it was on here, uh-huh. but I remember having the conversation of like, Hey, that's an interesting concept. It's really cool. Okay, <laughs> Nikki will have the same reaction. So don't listen to Nikki. Listen to me. And if you're in the Atlanta area, it'll be one of the best cocktails you're going to have. 
So, um, uh, I mean, it's separated enough. What do you worry about? Hair pulling Mm-mm. in a tree? No, or no, not nothing like that. It's more oh, just okay. like. Um, I think we did talk about it because we talked hair. about. So you didn't know that they had like places where you could go do your laundry and also drink. Let me tell you something because they're tying. You can drink. You can do anything and drink these days. I've, well, that's, we are living the dream. It just doesn't feel like I it. I think that's been all time. Like, I, like they, we, they used to not know that you shouldn't be pregnant and drink at the same time. So you could do all of the things and you also still drink. still drink and be pregnant. You can. You can. I mean, I, w- I probably wouldn't tip up like a whole whiskey bottle or anything. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, but the science shows us like not the best idea. Um, but uh, so... Anyways, it's a really cute bar. They also have really cute, not really cute, really delicious mocktails because I'm actually not a drinker. And then um, we went to a Lebanese restaurant called, um, it's either Zakia or Zakia. We had some conversation about the table, at the table about which one it was and neither of us really knew and the server never said. So anyways, it doesn't matter. It's Z-A-K-I-A and it was absolutely delicious. Um, I mean, just every single course, uh, whether it was like, you (laughs) couldn't believe I really love this, but it was like a beet salad at the beginning. I know for most people, they're like, thank you for a bowl of dirt. No, it was delicious with like whipped feta and walnuts and like some really delicious sauces poured on top, not poured, but like drizzled spinach cheese rolls. And like we had lamb shank and this stuff called nafe. I wanted to say this one in particular, just because if you're not really a sweets, person it's more of like a, a salty dessert uh so it's it's middle eastern and it's made with spun pastry called katafi and it's soaked in a sweet ours wasn't soaked you could like the sauce was on the side mm-hmm. but like it's like a syrup that you can put on it if you want and then it's typically layered with cheese and that's how ours was and then some people do clotted cream pistachio or nuts anyways it was really delicious if you ever see that on a menu um and then we spent sunday with casey's family and his dad made the most delicious mouth-watering brisket. Mm. And it, uh, it was nice. So that was pretty much it. Good. Happy birthday, Casey. Happy birthday, Casey. Welcome to 40. <laughs> <laughs> no promises that's going to go well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So are we ready? Ready. There's no yeah. good transition. I don't no know. Something time. about brisket. Nope. Got nothing. You had such a nice weekend, and then in this episode, we're talking about a nightmare, so. There you go. I like that. Like <laughs> this that. episode is called, uh, this is season four, episode four of Designing Women. This episode is called Nightmare from Hee Haw. Hulu says, a canoeing trip in the remote Georgia woods becomes reminiscent of deliverance when the sugar baker ladies and their men encounter three troublesome hillbillies. Air date October 16th, 1989. We're calling this one, We Need Some Kind of Vacation Counseling. It's written by LBT and directed by David Trainer. <clears throat> I imagine there's a lot for us to break down on this episode. So let's start with general reactions and stray observations. What you got? Well, I think we, we've already kind of alluded to this episode where we were going to talk about portrayals. And I do want to have a conversation about that. But before we do, I, I just sort of had this one like last minute thought that I wanted to share, which is we know that she's, we're pretty sure by this time she's working with Burt Reynolds on Evening Shade, even if it's like pre-production stuff. Uh, And I just, I couldn't help but think is, is like, did she, 
working with him and him being a main star in the movie Deliverance, did that like get the wheels turning for this episode? These are unanswerable questions, mm. but that was one thing. And then I'll pose this. Was this a better episode if he had a cameo as one of the sons in the bar? If this is the deliverance episode. Oh, uh, no. No. <laughs> you just can't make this any sweeter than I don't was. think so. I think we've really topped out. I think we've really topped out. I think that's an interesting question. My first general reaction was that this actually goes back to a point I made um, in one of the earlier episodes we covered this season, which is that device of her taking movies and sort of translating them into a plot line for designing women. Mm -hmm. So I've never actually seen Deliverance. Um, I've, I've read about it. It does not sound like a movie I'm super interested in watching. It sounds like maybe it's a little too hardcore for someone as soft as me for movies. Um, and so I'm probably not going to watch it. I know you're going to talk about it in this week's Extra Sugar. So maybe you can tell me if, to your knowledge, it aligns with kind of some of the themes from this episode. Um, but that was my general reaction was I was like, this is this is her pulling on deliverance for designing women. Like what if the designing women came as close to deliverance as they could? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely get all into the background on the movie and different aspects and how they may or may not correlate. So that'll all be in extra sugar. But coming back to this episode specifically, uh, I wanted to check in on some things about, like, how do we feel about the show's, one, portrayal of the town and the characters we meet, and two, then, like, our main cast of characters and their reaction to the town. So I wrote down some examples of what was said or shown. If we need to revisit that, or do you feel like it's fresh enough in your mind? Uh, give some examples. Okay. That'd be good. So, um it's, it's like, like a lot of snide comments, um, so I don't know if these are going to come across without context, but I think it's Mary Jo who says, we're the only ones in here who know who Leonard Bernstein is. Um, there's a comment like, uh, how do you feel about the culture so far after they um, get to the bar slash restaurant? I keep always wanting to call it like a pub. Mm -hmm. uh, referring to the guys in the bar as being part of the Charles Darwin Hall of Fame. Mary Jo is drunkenly doing her best impression of a country boy, like really loud because, you know, she's had like a teaspoon of alcohol and so she's wasted. Mm -hmm. um, even like down to the names, like one person's name is Nub. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we're from the South. I've probably known a Nub. It's a choice. Um, the character of Rupert, who was played as if he'd been dropped on his head, uh, one of the sons had not gotten past the third grade, and then they kind of made a joke about him not being able to pronounce the word female. Mm. Uh, it took a couple runs at that for me to understand the joke there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this ki kind of like this trope of like uh, uh, rednecks in a bar always ready to fight. Right. So, again, not saying some of this isn't based in reality, but those are some of the portrayals we got on the show. So how did how did that land with you? So I actually, the first time I watched this, like in pre-watch, I think that I had convinced myself that LBT wanted to push back on stereotypes of Southern people. So at one point they talk about one of the sons being a gynecologist. I really thought the first time I watched it, I thought he really was. And I was like, heck yeah, like a rural doctor, like, and a woman doctor, like that was awesome. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh, dang. Like, I thought there was a little bit more balance. <laughs> That's my favorite reading that you've had 
in four seasons. I, I love it. I thought there was more balance happening, and I really felt good about it the first time. And then the more I watched it, because I, I watched it twice, I think, uh, two more times in prep preparing for this episode. Um, and I was like, oh, man, dang it. Like, why do we have to do this? So I expect it from Suzanne, and I expect it from Julia to be really snotty and think of Atlanta as some, like, urban mecca that puts them in a position where they can make fun of people who live in rural areas. Uh, I really wanted, like, I expect that from them. I expected more from Mary Jo. And I expected Charlene to be a little stronger. One of my strays actually, though, is that there was a cut line in the scene where the women were back at the cabin gathering um, all of their things. Mm -hmm. Someone in the group says they really shouldn't generalize everyone from rural areas. So there was a cut line that maybe would have salvaged something. I'm thinking maybe it was her. And it could have salvaged it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's a little unfair to LBT for me to be like, man, she sure hates rural people because maybe there was some of that balance in there I was expecting Mm -hmm. and just never got. So this episode super bummed me out because I felt like it was really unfair. I'm glad you shared that. I mean, I don't think that one line is enough counterbalance, but at least that's something It's a semblance, yeah. Yeah. And it it would potentially track with characters. Like I'm saying, I expect more from Mary Jo and Charlene from their character. So maybe it would have helped a little. Or I guess it could have been one of the men maybe who said it. I don't know. They're in the hospital. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. So it couldn't have been them. I guess it was Charlene. God bless her. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I didn't love it. It struck me as judgmental and over the top. Like, and I, and, and so again, I'm going to go back like, uh, well, I have sometimes described myself about as humorful as a dish rag, but it, I do see the humor in it. I, I, I promise I do when we get down to things that we liked, I'll go more into that. But, um, mean-spirited is the word that comes to mind for me. So when we cross over into that, instead of like these like, oh yeah, I've definitely run into this guy before Mm -hmm. or stuff like that, to just like it feeling like beating up on someone. eh. I also think some of it might have to do with this idea that like, we don't have a ton of Appalachia representation in the media um, and in entertainment. And so maybe that's part of why it feels so lopsided or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most recent I can even think of is the one that was on the opioid epidemic um, and uh, that had Michael Keaton in it. And so it's just like, and that was, I mean, that's just a terribly, a, a terribly, a terribly sad, like, um, updated picture of, of some of the things that are taking place there. But again, it's this thing where it's just this lens of like horribleness instead mm-hmm. of like capturing some of the more kind or like, um, good, like these really nice qualities about the area. These are places where we've spent time because we, we live here, you know? Right. Um, and they were snotty before to get to your point about, oh, um, mm-hmm about mean-spirited, they were snotty before they even had an opportunity to understand the people they were up against, yeah. uh, Daddy Boy or whatever his name was, and his kids. Like, they were snotty about it before that. They, there yeah. were snide jokes about, like you said, um, let's go soak up some culture. Is this the culture you wanted? Like, they were really snotty about the whole thing before they even had a reason to be like, God, these guys are so annoying. Right. And uh, actually, you brought up something in our last episode that sort of fits into this rural versus city issue. And I think you nailed it on the head with the word classist. Yeah. So that's what it sort of struck me as. And then going back again to this point that it's like it feels in opposition to what I think what I think and what I thought the show was trying to do that show that the South was a progressive place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, more rural places 
uh, lean more traditional and that's fine. But I'm wondering if we had taken it and we had done one of maybe these two things with the plot, would this have helped? One is like this could have been an opportunity to use LBT's like sharp wit and humor to dispel some of those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, like <laughs> make one of the characters a real gynecologist. And not, <laughs> that would have been so not a, awesome. Not a gynecologist for fun. <laughs> and I just need to say for the record, you can't be a gynecologist for fun. I mean, <laughs> that is creepy at a level 17 out of one of 10. Um but, uh, you know, so, but to dispel some of those stereotypes about people in the country or mountains, um, and instead the script leaned into them. So I think, mm-hmm. I think, but I think that's one way that we could have gone about it. The other way is that they could have even played within the bounds of these stereotypes, uh, but then showed that there's something more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there was something redeeming that could have happened after that first encounter, mm-hmm. but it was just like, more of this, it was like a second helping and it got scarier because they showed up at the cabin with right. them. Like how strange. Like maybe if they had had that interaction in the bar, the women were so freaked out by these men. And then there was like their car broke down on their way back to the cabin and the men actually helped them get back to the cabin and helped make sure they had food and firewood or something nice. Right. Would that be lovely? <laughs> that would be so nice. I gave them a gynecological exam. <laughs> I, I think that would have been a really nice episode. I can give you your pap smear for the year. <laughs> Sounds delightful. Uh, so what other general reactions do you have? I think that's it for me on generals. I think the rest of mine are stray, I think. Okay. I do, Did we want, you mentioned something, we didn't talk a lot about this one offline, but you did mention something about like the traditional feminine and masculine cues that were going on in this episode Oh, in roles. Is that, is there anything there that, um, no, it, you know, it just, it struck me as this, there was this discussion about like approving dances and like can I dance with her and it just felt very of an a different time the well the men it didn't uh it sort of felt like the uh guys in the bar kept trying to bypass the men and the men kept trying to step in and, and and they were speaking for them but the women were deferring Yes, because it made it easier on them uh, yeah. to deal with these men, which so that it was just an observation I made. What I was proposing is that we would dig into it for an extra sugar or something if it had teeth. Mm-hmm. It was just a, this kind of random observation I had that I was just like, what is what is going on here? That well, would never happen. And I, Well, so that's what I was going to ask. Did you feel like that there's anything realistic about the way that played out with them deferring? Maybe in the old husbands or maybe in the boyfriends? old days, mm-hmm. I can't imagine a world uh, in which a man would come up to me when I was out to dinner with my husband and at, one to it asked me to dance. Like there's just not very many opportunities to dance anymore. <laughs> um, so that is not terribly believable, but just like would come up when I'm clearly there with my husband and try to like get me in some situation. It's just, that wasn't super realistic today. It may have been back then and it may have been something that happened a lot. It's just not current it did I didn't identify with that at all so I'm gonna tell you I think it was kind of realistic maybe not in that specific instance but I actually thought back to something that you and I have talked about where we do this thing where we 
pretend like we need to talk to our husbands so people will leave us alone. So oh, it like is a cable vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anybody bothering you in the grocery store? Yourself when they ask what your cell phone plan is. When they ask you, cell have you reevaluated your cable? I, I don't even know anything about. Cell I totally. Phones. We did that at Target. Yeah. My daughter and I recently with cell phones. I was like, I don't even know what service I have. I'm sorry. That's I, that's in my husband's shop. Yeah, I don't know. Right. So I so I do think there is some deferring and right there in the room feels different, right? Yeah. So I don't I totally agree with that. The whole thing is weird. And maybe the real problem is is that we don't have a lot of opportunities to dance. That's the real that issue. Is what we're learning here, no? It is absolutely what we're learning here. Um, and then the only other thing I'll say on that point that struck me in that well, two things. One is this idea that the the women had to feel like felt like they couldn't say anything like that sort of that sort of stuck with me like um that they felt like maybe they were going to cause a situation or something Mm -hmm. and then the and then they felt like they had to dance then with these guys uh like there's something that's so unfair about that happening they should have just been able to say they were no like the word no and that be okay and acceptable in any situation and then the second thing is like also just the audacity, audacity of men. Of just, those men, <laughs> for sure. No, no, I think a lot of men actually. I'm, I'm, I feel willing to say that from the things that I've had shouted to me in the streets and the people I've seen approach me and the things I've seen people doing in their cars and showing me when I did not need to see it and they all had penises. So yeah, the audacity of men. <laughs> yeah, I saw this TikTok this morning where this guy was saying. Um, conventionally attractive women are so mean and um someone uh it's not called duetting it but like they they stitched it Mm -hmm. and they were like no like just because they don't want to be polite and kind to you who know we have no idea what you said to that woman she has the right to feel what she feels and she doesn't exist to make you feel better about yourself or to be she doesn't owe you her politeness she doesn't owe you niceness um so it's funny that you're bringing that up today. I literally just saw that video this morning and it was it was kind of astounding. I'm part of your algorithm. <laughs> I think you are my algorithm. <laughs> oh, why don't you talk us through some of your strays? Well, I have some fashion notes. Did you notice how different Julia's hair looked in this episode? Feathered on top. It's very kinda. feathered and yeah. just looked very, maybe this is her like weekend in the mountains look. It feels like we're definitely playing, what is it, the Fisher vest that makes you think that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it feels like we're definitely playing around with hairdos and yeah. stuff this, this, this season. season. Yeah. And it was because we talked about Mary Jo's hair uh, oh, in like episode one that I felt like I needed to do equal opportunity. Also, Mary Jo and the suspenders and flat brimmed velour hat. She's looking very hipster here. Oh, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was as soon as she showed up on screen, I was like, she looks like a hipster. She's wearing like high-waisted jeans, suspenders, and a flat-brimmed hat. Just seemed like something we've seen these days. Yeah, that's a good call. I only had one that I want to share. And, um, oh, I lied. I'm sorry, too, but I'll be quick about it. Okay. (laughs) Did you notice who one of the sons is? No. T. Tommy Reed. Oh, jeez. How did I not notice that? It took me a couple of watches to see it, which is crazy. Was he the gynecologist? <laughs> because he's the, no. Okay. Um, Because he's like the most imposing, like, he's very, he's like a, he's a big burly dude. Um, mm-hmm. But they put him in a pair of coveralls. 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 
I'm fair of Valency in a pair of coveralls, and I just got confused. <laughs> so, um, it's the like power when of they wardrobe. Put a hot girl in glasses and a ponytail. You're like, oh, yeah, like, how she walk around like that all day? Look at that stain on her overalls. <laughs> uh, um, but it's like uh, it's interesting because they also put Anthony and him in a scene together, and they do at least directly dialogue at, at least one time in that scene. And how like, odd that I missed that entirely, or that they did that. Right, is <laughs> like a I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I think it's fun because you kind of get to catch it, and I mm. love a little Easter egg or whatever. But uh, that was weird. And then we do get a couple of callbacks to last season, specifically season three, episode twenty, stand and fight. Mary Jo cries in the bar nine one one, and then there's a little conversation about like how they should have been able to do more. They took that self defense class, so right. That was actually, I had two Mary Jo observations for uh, my last stray. That was one of them, that it was a really funny callback to the mugging training. Uh, The second one was that I was just really glad they acknowledged that she was drinking beer at the table because the second she started talking, I thought, oh no, oh no, it's happening. It's all happening again. (laughs) She's on the sauce and Mary Jo just can't handle it. So I love every time they bring that up. Um, but because we're in the bar right now, I feel like this is a good time for a Nikki's nibbles. Is that okay? Oh, you know it is. I'm starving. Nikki's nibbles. Come on, y'all. Let's talk fiddles. Nikki's nibbles. Come on, y'all. Let's eat. All right. So I have to talk about the girls' dinner. Uh, we had squirrel for Charlene, frog for Mary Jo, and rabbit for Julia. Mm-hmm. That's all that I needed to go into a Nikki's Nibbles about um, what I'm going to call wild dinners. Love it. Uh, I want to talk about the practice and process of eating wild meat, specifically in the U.S. Um, And I'm specifying that because it does happen in other countries. And as I started spiraling, I was like, oh, this could be a really long segment. So I'm limiting it to the U.S. Um, But before we start, I want to acknowledge this is, again, a judgment-free zone, like our segment on dirt eating in Season 3, Episode 4. People do this. This is a regular part of their life. I'm just sharing the information. So don't judge them. Let them live their lives. But I'm also not intending to be graphic in this segment because I know that is squirrely for people. <laughs> squirrely? That was you unintentional. Yourself, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't mean to do that because I know that can be a little uncomfortable for people. So I'm going to carefully talk about anything that could feel graphic. But if this is gross to you, if like you can't handle this, like just fast forward. But don't judge these people. It's what they eat. Yeah. Um, so in this segment, I'm going to home in on roadkill because that tends to be a hyper-specific Southern reference, mm. either fairly or unfairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for anyone not familiar, roadkill refers to wild animals killed along a road um, that are then prepared and eaten. Uh, it's a pretty long-standing joke that this is done in rural areas, primarily Southern. Uh, in fact, one of Jeff Foxworthy's famous You Might Be a Redneck jokes is, you might be a redneck if your kids take roadkill for show and tell. Um So it's far from a practice exclusive to the rural South, though. In fact, I found a live science article saying that collecting roadkill for eating is legal in more than 20 states, including Vermont, Washington, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. California is even a state in which it's legal. And like recently, in 2019, lawmakers approved roadkill collection in three areas of the state, which are considered, quote, high wildlife collision areas. And a cursory glance tells me that it's also, like I said earlier, a standard practice in other countries, too. I would have never even fathomed that it could be illegal. 
Like, how would you monitor for that? Yeah. So that's an interesting question, like Mm -hmm. the practicality of legality. Um, But I have another, I think I'm going to mention it here in a little while, another rule-y thing around it that's kind of interesting. Um, So some people have historically eaten roadkill for simple survival purposes. So like if you're the kind to eat deer and you've got a like bullet free 70 pound deer sitting in the road a mile from your house, like why would you pay $12.99 or $24.99, whatever the going rate is a pound for, um, free range meat when you have venison sitting right out there. Um, It's also an interesting workaround for vegetarians. I thought this was fascinating. So if people are against meat eating for like ethical reasons, because the animals are raised and slaughtered specifically to be food, if a, an animal out in the wild is killed in this sort of natural way and is otherwise going to go to waste, like the intention was not to raise them and kill them for food. Some vegetarians are like, that's okay by me. And they will eat meat in that instance. Okay. Um, And then there's also a financial side to all of this. I found an article on Modern Farmer that said that not eating roadkill is super wasteful. They cited a state farm insurance estimate that some 1.2 million deer were hit by by cars in 2012. Assuming one third of that meat could be salvaged, that would be 20 million pounds of free range venison sitting on the side of the road. Wow. Okay. Um. That same article shared pretty compelling evidence. Like there's no way to know for sure like where people started eating roadkill or when, but they shared evidence that formal government-sanctioned roadkill collection began in Wisconsin um, and that it's largely been considered a rural practice for practical reasons. Um, Those people living in rural areas are more accustomed to butchering and preparing meats um, and the animals themselves are likely in better shape because they're not getting run over multiple times because there just aren't that many cars coming down these roads. So can I share with you my practical concern? Sure. It's like, unless you're driving like a huge pickup truck or something, or like an SUV, something with a lot of body, mm-hmm. build, um, you know, I, it, they like a lot of times, like it can wrangle a car. So I'm just trying to think this like, of this thing where I, like, I know some of these are smaller animals, but like practically I hit a deer, like my car is messed up. Mm-hmm. I have to, I'm, first of all, I'm also traumatized cause I hit a, do- a car, a deer. So I'm literally sitting in my car crying mm-hmm. and then I'm trying to figure out the insurance stuff. And then somewhere in the middle, I'm also like trying to think about picking an animal up and taking it home with me. Mm-hmm. That just feels like one step too far emotionally. Mm, I get that. Um, so that I just, as you know, or like how, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if you can separate all of that and you're not like a weenie like me, um, you can do all of that. Like it does feel like your car becomes the number one concern. If you have hit something that's big, that's, that's all. I, I agree with you. Uh, but I will say maybe the concern and consideration in a rural area, for instance. So again, the argument I was making is that it, it has been considered a rural practice because, um, for all those other reasons. So if it does happen primarily in rural areas, is it possible you're not as concerned about getting your car fixed immediately? Is it possible you're not concerned about a dent on the side of your truck if you're like, if it's your farming truck? I don't know. Yeah. Um, The other thing I would say is, I wonder, and I don't, this is not covered anywhere in this segment. I wonder how often it is not the person involved in the hit who is collecting the roadkill. Oh, like they come along after they see it. Yeah, like you live off the side of a highway and you're used to people just like kind of running through town, hitting your deer and going off and you just grab them off the side of the road. You're probably in a better emotional state. 
You think that this will? You, you think this might upset someone's tummy listening to this? I'm a little worried. It might. I'm worried it might upset my tummy a little bit reading it. Um, uh, I was, and the last thing I was going to say is a safety first moment. Like I just feel okay. I can't. I can't walk away from a segment on roadkill selling this practice to people and not tell them how to do it safely. So if you do decide, you know, Selena, you're driving down this road right out here and you see a deer on the side of the road and you decide to collect it first and foremost, you do need to know the law in your state. So like we were just talking about, um, that modern farmer article noted that in some States roadkill is supposed to be reported to the state before you collect it. So you have to report it to the state. That sounds right. I know, right? Um, and then in Alaska, roadkill is considered the property of the state. And the state has the right to come in and collect it and then use that to feed families in need. So you are not allowed to collect it for yourself because okay. they're using it for the the better good. Oh, well, that's that's a nice practice. It's a, it's really nice. It's community, yeah. right? Right. Um, so there are rules, so know them. And that's kind of what I was thinking too, is like this idea of like, don't like not wasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then assuming you live in a state where it's okay to legally gather the roadkill, um, there were some tips given. I feel like it was the modern farmer article. I'm going to link to all this in the show notes. One of the articles I read said to in inspect, this is where I'm trying to talk carefully, inspect your gathering, make sure that it doesn't appear outwardly sick of any kind. There's no foaming at the mouth, no weird smells. Sure. You want to think about the temperature of the air. Like if it's a really hot day and you're in the South uh, and that thing's been sitting there for a while, that's not good practice. Just move along. That's not going to be good for you. And then of course, if it's sitting like in a puddle or covered in dirt or something, there, there are germs associated with that, that no amount of cleaning and cooking is really going to help you with. So mm. just move along. Mm. Okay. So that's it. Happy nipples, everybody. <laughs> okay. And our most delicious segment mm, mm, of Nikki's mm. nibbles. Um, I had no idea that's where that was going. Um, <laughs> what did you think I was going to do? I, I don't, I don't know like the history of squirrels or so. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm not sure why I didn't, I I don't know. All those things I like could to have keep been you hunted, you know, and then retrieved and sold at the bar. Um, although, I, can I just tell you my actual, like, like, wait a minute on that part of the episode was why you don't think that this place would just be serving chicken wings and hamburgers? Mm, right. That just felt, that was one of my over the top, like. Really? You just had to double down on the fact that you think this is a crazy wild place. And then these women who are sitting there making fun of these people and their livelihood are eating those foods and enjoying it. That was the other thing that annoyed me. Like, you can't stand here and make fun of them and also enjoy these things that you make fun of them for. That's right. Their culture, in quotes, just annoyed me. That's right. Getting defeated. I'm like... <laughs> Getting all worked up. <laughs> Speaking of either things that we don't like or we do like, let's talk about things that we do like. Nikki, what did you like about this episode? Um, I like when we leave sugar bakers. I like going on a V. This like, is always our vacation feedback. I was going to say, I like getting out of sugar bakers. I don't always love when they go on vacation. Every vacation I think they've ever explored in this show has been a cluster for me, and I have not enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Um. There were also a couple of clever lines. I'm realizing in this moment, I probably should have written one or two of them down to give you an example of how well thought out my notes were. Um, but there were a couple of times I laughed. There was some cute stuff that happened. <laughs> Hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a sitcom and I laughed at least five. 
if that's not if that's not Golden Hills, what is? Um, so, well, maybe. Well, I don't know. I have one. This is actually a, a counter to your very positive read of <laughs> our uh, gynecologist, Nub, Doctor Nub. Yeah, Doctor Nub. Don't. I don't know if you should go to Doctor Nub. I don't know. I don't know. I probably not as a surgeon. It's like well, it's kind of like when I like I wouldn't want to go to like Doctor Rusty. Or really, <laughs> anyone that refers to themselves by their first name and doctor, I'm like, just just go all the way. Call it, go, let's go with your last name. Just, we don't have to be that casual. I don't want it to be casual. This is health. It's serious. This is very serious. This it's should be formal. Serious. Yeah. I don't want to call you Dr. Bob, you know? Um, so I thought there were some really good lines in this one. I actually nearly did a spit take at Daddy Jones saying that Nub was a gynecologist and had delivered family babies. I feel so stupid. I also want to say that he was also using this as a reason for him to be okay to dance with Charlene, who Bill had tried to give the excuse of, she's in labor right now. Oh. <laughs> so the whole setup was like, it was, it was definitely... Um, a humorous one. But anyways, Suzanne has always had some good line uh, one-liners. When Charlene's baby was kicking on the river, this is being talked about in the aftermath of their canoeing trip. Um, and she, they come back and she says, well, of course and she was kick, or the baby was kicking. It's a little hick. <laughs> Suzanne was funny in this episode for sure. And she says the guy in the bar restaurant was looking at her like he wanted to lick the back of her neck. That is very, it's very, um, it's a good like indicator of like, oh, okay. Like, like, that's how bad know it exactly was exactly what's going on right. yeah it's it's visceral oh not the back of the neck oh no why <laughs> um and the thing i liked about this one was anthony to the rescue yeah so he busts in he pretends he's an fbi agent so we also get to see him do some acting like yeah. some meta in acting acting <laughs> and i liked his friends are the one him and his friends of his unfortunate incarceration uh take care of the guys from the bar that really Let's be frank. They stomped J.D. Reese and Bill's butts. So. What if she had brought in T. Tommy Reed to be one of his friends and used like a body double for the other guy? It would have been amazing. <laughs> to see. I never would have noticed. Yeah. They would have gotten it right by me. Oh, Burt Reynolds could have been one of the guys. That's true. That's true. Like in um, 21 Jump Street, the the newer version of the mm -hmm. movie, when it turns out Johnny Depp is one of the guys who's been in disguise the whole time. That's right. He's been waiting. That would have been Since good. 1983. That would have been good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also just really like the names of his friends. Um, Mr. E. Edward Hellhole Gibbs <laughs> and Mr. Thomas Spithead Graves. I just want to say, like, I would take on one of those names. Maybe at some point we should give ourselves unfortunate incarceration names. <laughs> I think, well, regard, I like these names. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I, like I accidentally called you the enforcer one time in some other... Some other capacity, and now all I can think of is Selena, the enforcer. I mean, I like it. <laughs> I obviously like it. It works for you. What didn't you like about this episode, Nikki? Um, we talked about it a lot at the top. Just it's very anti-rural, which just, I think it just disappointed me for this show. It surprised me a little bit, and not in like a good way, in like just a disappointing way. It's hard to, it, it was hard to watch this episode because I felt very much like, Oh, I thought we were doing something different. Like, I thought we were pushing back. That one cut line, I mean, I think there may have been some balance that ended up on the cutting room floor. Or maybe, that, I'm not saying this was like all in LBT's head. Like, maybe there was more discussion with producers and the network and stuff. But it was just sort of a bummer. Yeah. Just a bummer. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that's my only dislike as well. Um, we could have made some of them a little bit more three dimensional, and and but the only thing I'll say in counter to my own counter is is twenty two minutes. It's a tough job. It's a lot of episodes. There's 1,462 episodes this season. I mean, I realize it's like doing a lot under a, a big time constraint. But yeah, uh, watching it right now, it is disappointing a little bit. It would be crazy to watch a show about the South and set in the South, mm-hmm. have these women live in Atlanta, which is a big city in the Southeast, and not have them interact with rural areas. Mm-hmm. That would be wild. Yeah. So I'm not arguing they never should do that. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if this would have been a better hijinks episode. So like the one where they went camping or whatever, um, they went on like the ladies camping trip with Bernice. She treated them to the weekend in the wild. Yeah. Um, like something like that. Um dealing with the realities that rural people face. Like I could have handled a couple of roadkill jokes. I could have handled like forcing them to come to reality with needing to eat a squirrel or something. I don't know. That might've been too duplicative of the camping episode, but something like that where they just experience rurality without making fun of it. Mm -hmm. Could have done with that. I also will counter that in 1989, Atlanta was not a big city. So I think it's always been a big city for the Southeast because it's the, yes, for the railroad. Southeast. So yeah. hold on, let me get to my larger point, okay. which is when you talk about how other cities viewed Atlanta years ago, and we're just now, I think at a point where a lot of that has shifted, they did not see it as a bit. So I'm, what I'm trying to say is there's always someone punching down on the next group. So let's stop it somewhere. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. So like New York, San Francisco, LA, they didn't see Atlanta. It was just it might as well have just been an extension of Appalachia. That's what I'm trying to say. So let's let's stop it somewhere. Which is just so weird to me because then why would LBT have played into that when she's from even more rural than Atlanta? Doesn't make sense to me. Just doesn't it doesn't add up. Yeah. Doesn't add up. How uh would you feel about rating this thing? Let's do <laughs> it's it. a really awkward way into that. <laughs> I feel like it's a thing we got to do, so let's do it. <laughs> Tell me, what'd you give this one? Uh, so my rating scale was wild bands of toothless banjo players, and I'm going to give it two out of five. Okay. It's a vacation episode, and it was problematic. So two out of five. Okay. What about you? I really, I think you're going to be very surprised by my rating. So first of all, my rating scale is vacations from hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it four out of five. So um, I don't I don't like all the rural stereotypes, but on rewatch, I think there was a lot of dialogue I didn't catch on the first time through that I do think was really well written, and I think it was funny. Um, and uh, I I also bumped it up some because I like the Anthony saved the day. I'm always probably going to give at least one whole point for that. Just mm-hmm. Anthony um, coming in and just cleaning up everybody else's mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I rated it a little higher. I'm a little surprised by my own rating, but I'm not changing it. Um, <laughs> and then thinking about all three vacation episodes. So now we've had the ski trip mm-hmm. where they kind of got stuck inside and there was the whole women, men thing. Then we have Florida mm-hmm. and then we have this one. If you had to uh, rank them, how would you rank them? Florida, this one, ski trip. In terms of my uh, preference, if I had to watch another one, I'd watch the Florida one again. 
then um, this one, then the ski trip. The ski trip was my least favorite because I think it showed us all the worst things to know about the men. Yeah, same. So mine went, no, so I, this does play into my rating. The other reason that I scored this a little higher in terms of vacation episodes, I actually thought it had stakes. I mean, the guys wind up in the hospital. Um, Which is probably where they need to be. There's, <laughs> there's like, there's things that actually feel like we're not making a thing out of nothing necessarily. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I also scored it a little bit higher. And for me, it goes this one, Florida and the ski trip. But altogether, I think I like, Either they need, like, we need, like, a redo on vacations mm-hmm. or just maybe no more vacations. Just no more vacations. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. We did get that one cruise episode, which I'm not counting as a vacation because they were there for work. Oh, yeah. But that episode was pretty glorious. And there were no men. And there were no men. <laughs> yeah. I uh, think we just don't like to see, and this could be some. This could be something to dissect. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to that question you asked me earlier on the dynamics of the men and the women in the dance situation. I think when we see our women and I'm, I'm calling them our women because, because they're ours, we're ours now. Um, when we see them who we can see as strong, confident, um, business women who can run their own business, who can run their own lives. When we see the role that men played in that in an eighties context, I wonder if there's something, if there's inherently something frictional about that for me, Mm -hmm. given that my generation is, um, as our, our bad reviewer reminded us recently, a little bit further than that. Um, I wonder if there's something I'm feeling there that every single time I see these interactions, I'm going to have a reaction to that. I mean, it's possible, right? Like in every single one of the vacation episodes, that's something that we've honed in on and talked about those, um, what felt like dusty gender dynamics mm-hmm. um, and stepping into like the least likely or likable parts mm-hmm. about everyone's personality yeah. Um, in an attempt to be funny, but it turns into like something that's more like um, for the therapist or something. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, just jumping back into our, um, uh, things, eighties things. Did you have any? I feel like I should have had something here. Yeah. I only have one thing. Okay. Bill says we have to get his card as in his business card. I realize people have cards. My appliance repairman leaves me like 10 every time he comes to my house. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely still happens. It just feels like much like my mom used to have a book. Yeah. From business cards. Right. So it does feel like of another era. Mm-hmm. Um, Southern things? I mean, this whole episode, right? So I could call yeah. out specific things. I didn't because I'm probably like, this whole episode. Just, just all of it. Okay, well, that was a much better way to do it. I've got some things that I want to share. <laughs> Minute one. Um, <laughs> shots fired. Okay, so You Look So Good in Love by George Strait is playing when they come through the door of the local pub. And I just have to say that that's an all-time high for me. I love that song so much. I was actually surprised it was George Strait, not a cover, because mm-hmm. um, I figured that would be kind of hard to get. Um, but it wasn't. So, hooray. Also, I just love George Strait. Arthur Murray's School of Dance. There actually is one. Um, they mentioned that they went to this school of dance in Decatur. That's why they wanted to dance with the women because they had learned how. I just want to say there really are Arthur Murray dance centers to this day, and they're basically franchise studios providing dance lessons for beginners. Um, If you are in the Atlanta area and you're interested, there is not one in Decatur anymore, but I can confirm that there's one in Alpharetta and Kennesaw. 
Arthur Murray was an American ballroom dancer, in case you don't know. He's also a business person. And this is interesting. Murray had ties here in Atlanta, so I wanted to share some of those. He studied business admin at Georgia Tech. And, I mean, like Arthur Murray, is, this is back in, like, 1919. But he taught ballroom dancing at the Georgian Terrace Hotel. Nikki, you stayed there in the last year, haven't you? Mm-hmm. It looks like from the time that he taught dance there. Ah, and then, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> the floors oh, okay. in our room, the floors, the wood floors were like buckling up and it oh, looked no. like they hadn't redone it since 1919. Okay. Yeah. I, it took me a second there. I was like, <laughs> how long ago were you there? <laughs> um, I'm like, we're not that old, Nikki. In 1920, he also organized the world's first radio dance. It's a big deal back in the 20s, <laughs> um, uh, but where songs on the Georgia Tech campus were played and broadcast to 150 dancers on top of the Capitol City Club in downtown Atlanta. And I just thought that was interesting. I wasn't expecting there to be anything tied mm-hmm. to like our local area. They were super random. So, yeah. I th- and I wonder if it's not random because this actually does feel like something LBT knows. Did you read that there were... Um... By the time he and his wife retired in 1964, there were 3,500 Arthur Murray dance studios around the world. Today, there are about 200. Yeah, I did read that there were like a ton of them. That is so so fascinating to me. I think it speaks to the time shift and how like there's a ballroom dancing studio over here in Lawrenceville. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so crazy to me every time I see it because ballroom dancing doesn't even occur to me. Like it's not even, again, dancing, like other than being in a club and dancing or dance, you know, whatever, dancing in your own home. Ballroom dancing is just of a totally different time. It's so beautiful. I love it's lovely. Yeah. Dance. I'm, yeah. I can't I'm not say built I for it. Up. My thing is, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm built for anything, but like I, I would be too embarrassed to go and have to put my lack of skills on display, especially since I feel like I have like probably four left feet instead of two, whatever gets you to a worse spot. That's probably where I am. Um, but so a couple of other Southern things. Daddy Jones says, we're liable to go plum crazy. That's pretty Southern. Reese references um, hill people, which is a Southern terminology. Um, Daddy Jones says they're going to have a big old cookout. And I just want to say, I see this debate come up sometimes about the difference between a cookout, barbecue, etc. And um, I thought maybe we, I would just quickly differentiate. Do you know about this argument at all? Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> Nikki has this beautiful look of disinterest on her face. <laughs> just, no, I don't. So, know. according to the root, um, a barbecue, the basics you have to at least have like charcoal. I bet you Kyle would feel seriously about him. You should ask him. Um, the basics would include at least charcoal or wood and a low and slow cooking process. And so, it's more than hot dogs and hamburgers that you just throw on a grill. It takes time. It takes planning, and then from there, the the meat could. They said would, but I would say could be dictated by the geography. So in Texas, you would more than likely have brisket. Maybe somewhere in the Carolinas, you'd have a whole hog. Um, I would argue any of that's on the table. (laughs) But um, a cookout, on the other hand, does not require the same advanced planning. And you really can't just throw dogs and burgers on a grill and call it a cookout. And a lot of people in the South feel really seriously about that. So I thought I thought it was regional in the sense that they were more likely to say barbecue up north and cookout in the South. I refer to almost everything that is, it's less about the type of meat and the way that it's cooked and more about the environment around it. So like a cookout to me says like, 
we're having a party and we're eating outside. Mm-hmm. Um, now, barbecue versus grill means something very different to me because Kyle is a low and slow kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say you're barbecuing something, to me, that's a brisket or um, a pulled pork or something, whereas um, grilling is just we're having hamburgers. So, mm. Well, that's what I'm saying. Everybody has strong feelings about it. Yeah. And there's My also- feelings aren't strong. <laughs> just, that's what I thought. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have said everybody. There are a lot of people out there who have strong feelings. I actually looked this up because I was like, I don't even know which way I think. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, that makes sense to me. Uh, but I don't, it's not a hill I have to die on today. No. Georgia Highway Patrol also gets a mention. And then that's the end of my Southern references. Anything in your references that we just need to talk about? I was going to talk about Arthur Murray. And the other one I had is Behind Closed Doors, which is the song Daddy was singing when he was dancing with Julia. uh Uh, It's a country song that was first recorded in 1963 by Charlie Rich. Um, So what is most interesting about this to me uh, when I looked into it is that they had to change some of the lyrics in the second verse after outcry that the lyrics were too racy. I tried to Google this so hard and I could not figure out what lyrics were changed and what they were changed to. What I can tell you is um, these are the lyrics I found. My baby makes me smile. Lord, don't she make me smile. She's never too far away or too tired to say I want you. She's always a lady just like a lady should be. But when they turn out the lights, she's still a baby to me. And it reminds me of Taylor Swift in her new song, Antihero. She says, everybody's a sexy baby. And everybody's like, ooh, how creepy, sexy baby. But apparently that's a a reference to 30 Rock, I think it is. But just this general, like, sexualizing babies thing gets weird. Uh, Those lyrics were weird to me. And those are the lyrics I found. So I'm guessing those weren't the changed lyrics. Mm -hmm. So then, like, what were they super worried about, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. not that? Probably just also the era. Like, everything was... What they consider racy and what people consider racy now are really different. A baby to me. So I don't think I'd like that song. Yeah. Anyway, that was my that was my last reference we need to talk about. So we get an intro reference to Dash, who's played by Delta's real life husband, Gerald McCraney. We've talked at length about all of that, but um, they make excuses for him not being there. Suzanne doesn't want him to think they're not there that they are more than friends, but. I think truthfully what was going on is that major dad started in 1989. So I think he's just very busy. Yeah. That show was on for five, six seasons. Yeah. Not an insubstantial amount of time. Yeah. Um, A show that just quite frankly, I can't even imagine that like being on for a long time today, but I really love major dad a lot. It's cute. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, I feel like I'm saying it weird. Is it Bernstein? Bernstein? You know what? It's funny you say that. I was going to bring it up earlier, and then I was like, I don't know. Um, She said it in the episode, and I was like, is it Bernstein? That's how they say it in that song, Uh that, like, it's the end of the world song. Leonard Bernstein. So maybe she said it right. But when she said it, I was like, is it Bernstein? I know. I feel like I want to say Steen. Anyways, so. I could have looked into it. I probably should have. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike all those idiots in the bar, I know. (laughs) He's an American conductor, composer, pianist, music educator, and author, and also a humanitarian. It's also a timely reference because the movie Maestro is coming coming out supposedly this year. And it's uh, directed by Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper will also play him. Um, But I I thought it was interesting because this guy really is like, um, he, he had a lot of passions outside of like, you know, composing. He's best known for the musical West Side Story, by the way. But 
He supported civil rights. He protested against the Vietnam War. He advocated nuclear disarmament. He raised money for HIV research and awareness. And the this one's, I think, really interesting. He conducted a historic performance of Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 in Berlin to celebrate the fall of the Berlin Wall, which was televised live worldwide on Christmas Day in 1989. So, And he was also name-checked by R.E.M. I say name check my uh, the most important part, but I the other thing that's interesting about that is Christmas Day in 1989. That means that this reference in show reference happened just a few months before he did that historic performance, uh, and it's um, I just always like to bring us back to the place when I can, like time and place. R- Rodan. Mm-hmm. This is a reference made in the show by Mary Jo, who compares, I think it's Mary Jo, because I had to go back to the script, their fight with Daddy Jones and his sons was like going up against Rodan, which I, I feel when I'm saying that, I feel like I'm saying Roseanne wrong. Um, but this is a fictional monster, which first appeared as the title character in Ishiro Honda's 1956 film Rodan, produced and distributed by Toho. I think this character is in the Godzilla universe. Did you know this reference? No. Okay. And then the term slackjaw son is used. And I feel like through inference, I could kind of pick up. To me, it sounded like she was trying to say like mouth breather, which is not my favorite term, but, you know, especially because I am one. <laughs> um, but it's with the mouth in an open position and the jaw hanging loosely, especially as indicating bewilderment and astonishment. Who among us hasn't felt slackjawed at one time or another? So that was my last reference. Okay. Next episode. Nikki loved it. <laughs> I was stuck on Rodin because I was thinking of Rodin, the like sculptor. And then like, I never really thought much about it. So then when you were talking about Rodin, I was like, is this the same like in the Godzilla universe? What's happening? So my mind is just in a couple of places right now. And then slack jawed threw me for a loop and Gotcha. It's a lot for me. Uh, next episode, season four, episode five, The Girlfriend. We'd love everyone to follow along with us uh, and engage. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. We're on TikTok at Sweet Tea TV Pod. Uh, our email address is Sweet Tea TV Pod at gmail.com. Our website is www.sweetteatv.com. There are several ways to support the show. You can tell your friends and family about us, rate and or review the podcast wherever you listen. And then we have some additional ways available from the website on our support us page so come back thursday for extra sugar we're gonna talk about deliverance yes hey that's nice we said it together ah lovely all right well you know what that means nikki what does it mean selena it means i'm still adjusting to this process where we are splitting out extra sugar and we'll see you around the bend bye